As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly, your host, and with me today are the Athletics' Jack Pitbrook and Charlie Eccleshare, because, of course, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast, View from the Lane, comes from The Athletic. And I think it's a very good weekend, given what happened with Liverpool, to discuss, among other things, the rising stars in Spurs' youth system. We'll also be talking about a fantastic interview The Athletic has done with Hugo Lloris, and we'll be doing a few more of your questions as well. Um, after the break. No senior game to reflect on this week, obviously. Next game is Crystal Palace. But however, the, the Spurs under 21 team were in action on Saturday. Now they were playing uh, Fleetwood Town in the cup competition at the Spurs Stadium. 2,000 people were there. Um, and they came away with a 6 0 win, um, which includes, among other things, the fastest ever hat trick scored at the still new stadium by one Will Lankshire. Has, have anybody you seen even the, the the quality of the goals? What did you make of it, Charlie? Yeah, I mean the goals are unbelievable. Some of them, anyway. Um, yeah. Some of the passing, some of Jamie Donnelly's passing, uh, the finish from Santiago is is brilliant. The kind of double dummy, uh, and obviously Will Lankshire scoring a hat trick, uh, and how clinical he looked. I mean, it's tricky, isn't it? Because obviously the standard of opposition is immeasurably different from what they would be playing <clears throat> in, say, the Premier League. So when you know, we've all been there, haven't we? And we see these... It's, it's a bit like with a new site. You know, you sign a player from a foreign league that's of a lot lower standard. You watch their clips and they're just like, oh my God, this guy is going to score every game because he's so good. Uh, and it's a very different level. But just in and of itself, yeah, all very enjoyable. I, th- I think the Liverpool comparison, one of the big things I think is opportunity. Spurs have played three non-Premier League games this season. Liverpool have already played 17. Uh, and we'll have plenty more to come. And I'm not suggesting they'll be, you know, playing the kids in the Europa League games necessarily, but they might if they win a first leg comfortably. Spurs just haven't had that chance this season with only three non-Premier League games. And one of those non-Premier League games was against City. And I think with the best one in the world, chucking in some academy kids against the best team in the world, 
wouldn't really have been fair on anyone. So I think that's maybe a frustration that they have gone out so early in the Cups because it's reduced the chance to, even if you're not going to start some of these guys, uh, at least bring them on. I mean, Jamie Donnelly did come on away at City for the very closing stages when Spurs were really down to the barest of bones. Uh, and then he, he came on against um, Newcastle and Brentford and Burnley in the Cup. But yeah, he, ha- he hasn't played much. Scarlett also came on in that Burnley game. But yeah, I can understand the the sense of what why aren't our young players getting those kind of chances, but I do think that is a big reason for it. I also think that the other f- obvious factor here is the more secure a manager is in his position, yeah. clearly the more space he's going to have to to play the kids. You know, Tottenham, I mean there's an issue of the quality of the supply, which I'm sure we, we can come on to later. You know, I thought it was very telling that Postacoglu actually said in a press conference last, I think earlier this month, that the the kind of supply line of young academy players wasn't quite as good as it should be at Tottenham. And he talked about the work that's going on behind the scenes to improve that. But equally, I think if you've got a manager like Jurgen, I mean, obviously Klopp is going, but the fact is he's been there almost nine years now. He's in no kind of external pressure to get results. So the only pressure to get results comes from himself, arguably, and therefore he can he can look to the future. Even though he's leaving, he can still look to the future by bringing on kids. Whereas if you, I mean, Tottenham basically have a new manager every year, and that means that whoever the manager is is always thinking about trying to keep their job. Now we all hope that Postecoglou will be there longer than Conte was there, longer than Nuno or Mourinho was there. He's obviously got this. You know, he's been given a three plus one contract and I'm sure he will. I don't think he will flame out after 18 months like some Spurs managers. But generally speaking, if you look at the bigger picture, a situation where the club changes manager frequently, the manager is going to be less inclined to pick the kids. He, he also, a new manager, needs to get to know the fringe players first and foremost before he does the kids. So in that Fulham away game in the League Cup, say, in August, it's it's more important. You know, that's the first time Postacoglu is going to get to see... Uh, guys like Lacelso starting a game, and he has to prioritise that over uh, some of the academy kids. And to Jack's point, he also he did get a lot of pressure for making all those changes. But I think he would have got uh, more in some quarters if, for not only is he less comfortable and secure as a man as a new manager, Spurs haven't won trophies as we all know. So there is a different that comes with a different dynamic. You know, if if, if Klopp tossed off the League Cup one season. You know who cares really? They no, no. You know they win. They've won it a lot. They win so many trophies. I don't think anyone's going to really berate him for doing that. Obviously, that's different when you haven't won a trophy uh, for sixteen years. It does mean there is more pressure on on every competition. Jamie Donnelly, uh, because Lancashire, he's he's got he's scored buckets of goals. Now let's get, let's let's first of all look at the background to this. Is that all Spurs' age group teams are doing really well this season, and Lancashire has got a lot of goals for a kid of his age. Um, but Jamie Donnelly appears, on the surface at least, to be the most likely to break through. Is that, is that how you read it, Jack? Yeah, like if you speak to anyone who, who knows a lot about about this topic, they all say that Donnelly is very much the best of his age group. I saw him play last at the start of last season in Friendly, and he's kind of... I My impression is that he's still... It's not fully clear yet what position he'll play when he grows up, because he's into senior football because he's played up front a lot but he's not really a pure striker he likes to get he likes to come back and get on the ball a bit so he's like a bit of a you know you could call him a nine and a half you know some people have obviously some people have compared him to to harry kane uh somebody the other day i was speaking to compared him to julian alvarez 
for me it's at Manchester City who's obviously a striker but who does take up a lot of deeper positions as well but if just just through watching Donnelly and this is you know as obvious in in the flesh as it is on clips like he's just a very natural footballer you know he can he's got a great first touch great weight of pass good eye for goal good vision you know seems to know what's going on around him not that reliant on on kind of size or build or athleticism which you think will kind of put him in good stead when he does develop into senior football because it's not like he's just the biggest player in his age group um so yeah really really good talent it's gonna be interesting to see what happens next like I'm sure there would have been some value to him going out on loan in January but it didn't happen and you know Spurs I can see why Spurs might want to keep him in the building for now because they've got um you know they don't have that many players but I'm sure that next season there will be a loan I would imagine championship or possibly league one uh and then it'll be really interesting to see how he how he develops when he goes fully into sort of senior men's football yeah he's a like everyone speaks about his versatility as well so i think alvarez is an interesting comparison because i've been told yeah he can play as a 10 as an 8 uh almost as a right winger he played one game for the academy last season as a center back like he technically is outstanding and from what I'm told, he's got that kind of aura, that confidence, you know, not arrogance, but that thing that the best players have of, I know I'm really good and I'm going to show it. A bit like James Madison. And and there may be, uh, there may be some similarities between those two as well. Obviously, Donnelly's still developing his game, but just that that self-confidence, that swagger, that eye for a pass. So yeah, he, do, he does feel like the absolute standout at the moment. And I remember, Danny... Do you remember when I think it was when Harry Kane broke the record? You said on this podcast how uh, how proud you were of the fact that Kane grew up in London, but with Irish family, and you compared him to Jimmy Greaves, who of course also is from the same part of the world with Irish grandparents. Well, Donnelly was actually born in Ireland. He's born, sorry, in Antrim, but has grown up largely in Britain, and so he's even he's eligible to play for Northern Ireland and England, and has done for both at youth team level. If it, He's playing at the moment. I think he's playing for England under 19s. So, given given your expressed hope that Tottenham would find another another young player who was both English and Irish, well, maybe uh, they found it in Jamie Donnelly, or maybe they already had it in Troy Parrott, who um, has scored seven times in 17 games for Excelsior this season. Um, I think probably Troy's time as Spurs has gone by, but I'm I, I just making that point. And he's another really good example, by the way, of someone who a few years back was absolutely the guy um, who was going to be the next Harry Kane and come in and score lots of goals. And, he, and he's a brilliant, brilliant player. So yeah, that that's kind of another reminder of the level that you've got to get to. Also playing in that game against Fleetwood uh, for the youth team was Dane Scarlett. Is he now at the point where if he doesn't get a chance at Spurs, he's going to have to move on? We'll probably have a perfectly good career somewhere else. Well, look, he's only 19 yeah. for a start. Like, he's still, he's he's been moved through the system, I think, very quickly, Scarlett, because of how, because of how, how good he is and how well he did as a youngster. Clearly, this season has not gone as he would have wanted. I think that when he went to Ipswich Town on loan, like, it kind of made sense for him to go into the Championship. Uh, and I think when he went to Ipswich, the expectation or the hope was that he would be he would be first choice, or he would play a lot of games for Ipswich. I don't think I don't think people really expected Ipswich to have this amazing start Absolutely. of the season, which they had. Absolutely. And obviously, when you're playing, you know, if you're a Championship team and you're suddenly winning every game, you're not going to change things to bring in a teenager to play up front. So they've had George Hurst up front. I think Kiefer Moore is now up front for them, and like Kiefer Moore is a hugely 
is a hugely experienced and established championship centre-forward. He's scored tons of goals for lots of different teams in the championship. Yeah, he's played international football for Wales. And like, uh, because it's... of a family connection, I'm, I keep a very close eye on Ipswich Town. I have to say, getting Kiefer Moore, you know, before we started, ah, oh, it's just the old blokes blocking the pathway. It made perfect sense. Yeah, and if you're McKenna, you're not going to pick Scarlett over Kiefer Moore. Um, so he didn't really... Uh, uh, so Scarlett obviously didn't start a game for Ipswich. Tottenham brought him back in January on the basis that if he's not if he's not starting games for Ipswich and he's just coming on, well he might as well just he might as well just train with Tottenham, training with better players, and be an option off the bench for Tottenham if he's not going to be playing regular football for Ipswich Town. So no, cl- clearly it's not gone as as people would have wanted, but that's not to say it's not a good learning experience. And I think the challenge is firstly finding him a good loan next season, back into the championship, I imagine. And I think the second thing, which I imagine they'll be keen to do, will be to find him a loan at the start of the summer so that he gets a pre-season with the new team and he can actually get kind of fully embedded into his new team and their style of play and make himself first choice rather than what often happens with loans, which is that they get loaned out at the end of the window by which time, you know, more established players are already in place and the manager's got his first 11 in mind. So I think that's going to be on their minds when they try and sort out a better loan for him next season. Yeah, I mean, Scarlett, he's actually one who's probably been more affected than guys like Donnelly, who are maybe a bit lower down the pecking order by the fact that Spurs didn't have, say, a home FA Cup tie against a lower league club or, whatever, or you know, a, a league cup run. I know he wasn't there for the first half of the season, sure, but had sure. he been... You know, so he didn't get those opportunities. And yeah, he turns 20 next month. And he, he is someone, I mean, I remember seeing him in a, he scored in a friendly against, away at Leighton Orient in Nuno's first game in the summer of 2021. Brilliant finish. And you just thought, God, this, he's so natural. And that's what everyone says about him. He's a really, really natural, clinical finisher. Let's return then to the victory over Fleet, but I've got two questions for you. Give the, the listeners a little bit of background. It doesn't have to be too detailed on Will Lankshire. He got this hat-trick at, at the new stadium at the weekend. Do we know anything about him? I think he's just always been a really natural goal scorer. That's what people in football always talk about him. They said he was you know, hugely highly rated when he was at Sheffield United. Obviously from there came to Tottenham in 2022. His reputation in the game is is pretty good and uh, yeah it'd be interesting to see what you know if he's if he has a loan because he's obviously slightly younger than Scarlett he's 18 if he gets a loan next season if he's maybe starting off in league one let's say and if he starts scoring goals partly as well why there's been less said about him recently probably he had a bad injury um, but he's come back from it really well I mean he was out for, for a long time as, as a, you know he got a knee injury and in, I think it was February of last season you know so it was out or it might have been the injury he picked up was in January that it happened. So that was really unfortunate for him. But he was at Arsenal in their academy. And obviously, <laughs> as was Harry, you know, Harry Kane was had Arsenal connections. So definitely a natural finisher. And, you know, he showed that again on the weekend. All right, listen, thank you. Thank you very much indeed. That was just a kind of um, probe about see where Spurs' younger players are coming from. One or two of them are out on loan at the moment. I think we've written a piece about it in The Athletic, um, including Alfie Devine, and uh, Ashley Phillips, both on, on loan at Plymouth. The timing of the piece may be a bit affected by the fact they were both left out this weekend. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> always, always helpful when that happens. But um, yeah, I did. I, I thought um, Phillips seems to be getting somewhere approximately rave reviews. Yeah, I mean, I worked on this piece. Two players, certainly Divine, someone I've followed for a long while. Uh, Phillips obviously came to Spurs a lot later. But it sounds like it's been a really positive move for them, that they're both really enjoying it. And, you know, certainly in Devine's case, he was having a really good loan anyway at Port Vale. It wasn't like, oh, we desperately need to get him a loan. That was going well. This opportunity came about because 
their manager Ian Foster knows both players and especially Divine from uh, England youth teams and is a, is a big fan of him so that so it was like a, it felt like too good an opportunity Divine was really enthused by the idea as was Phillips really you know in their conversations felt like it was you know a really good opportunity and it's very rare you know for championship centre-backs to be that young to go and play regularly in the championship at that age is brilliant you know centre-backs are often the last you know he's 18 he only turned 18 in ju- last summer so he's very young and you know he played quite a bit for Blackburn and he's a he's a big guy so I think it's easy to think that you know he's fully developed and this should be easy for him it's obviously not the case and they're kind of working with him I know Foster's working closely with him you know in training we'll kind of talk him through uh, little bits and pieces but yeah I think that they're both if really enjoying it feels like a really positive move for them and yeah for, for an 18 year old to be getting regular starts in men's football and at a high level of men's football uh, is really positive and, and obviously the reason centre-backs often don't get starts and games when they're that young is that it is a position like goalkeeper where if you do make one mistake it can be very high profile because there's not much behind you to to help you out um so yeah hopefully that will be that will be really positive for both those players in a season where loans have been hit and miss shall we say for Spurs and the other one we haven't mentioned is Alfie Dorrington who is um also a young centre-back also 18 he's not really he hasn't had the same first team experience that Phillips has had but I think I gather he's you know he's very highly rated inside the building. Maybe a little bit better on the ball than Phillips is one theory that I've heard. Um, thought to be a really good character. Uh, so yeah, again, it, it's kind of it, I think it's, my impression is that it's probably it might be harder to sort out loans for young defenders rather than young strikers because if you're a Championship or League One team, you're always happy to you know you're you're happier to bring in a stri- a young striker who might not be, be first choice, so you can have him as a bench option or a rotation option, whereas if you're a league one, if you're a league one or championship team, you're probably going to be a bit more risk averse when it comes to bringing in an inexperienced teenage centre back. For obvious reasons, you'd rather have experienced centre back. So it might be a little bit harder to find Dorrington that playing time. But I'm really interested to see what his next step will be. Yeah, he's he's really highly thought of. He's injured at the moment as well, which is a real sh- a shame for him. Um, but yeah, he's supposedly a class player, really good on the ball. Mikey Moore's another one, um, very skillful. Uh, who, yeah, someone was saying to me he's a bit like to wrapped in some ways. Obviously, you know, I think fairly that, throw let's away. Say, let's say that's a good thing good, overall. That's a good thing. The good, yeah, yeah, the good stuff. You know, the, the yeah. kind of the ability he has in training to do, yeah, kind of mad skills and that sort of thing. But an exciting player to, to keep an eye on as well, Mikey. I have to say, in the case of Phillips and Dorrington, if they were to suddenly appear now, six months' time, whenever, in the Spurs' first team, we, I think diplomatic relationships with Romania might be broken off. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this. I'm, I presume you are, the two of you, that every game that goes by without uh, Radu Dragashin making his debut is causing terrible uh, friction in Romania because he yeah. is the star of the game. And you see now, his, not only is his agent, who, let's be fair, must have pulled down a fair wedge for this move, he is interviewed seemingly constantly by the Romanian press about what's happening, when's he going to start playing for Spurs. But also um, Dragosheen's mum, she seems to be uh, in the Romanian press all the time uh, talking about her son's prospects. So um, if, if if Alfie or Ashley were to get into the team ahead uh, of uh, hmm. Dragosheen, I think there'd be, there would be trouble. There'd be trouble in the camp. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, Dragosheen is a really, you know, he's, he was a fantastic player in Italy. Also, I think he's, 
I think he's. I gather he's pretty relaxed about the situation. You know, he knows that Tottenham don't have a lot of a lot. As Charlie said earlier, they don't have a lot of games this this season to allow opportunities for for different players. Um, he's coming into a new league. The two centre backs are currently very well established and playing well and fit and not suspended. But as soon as any of those things ceases to be the case. Dragosin will come straight in and play. Uh, Players who make a big jump don't always come in and play straight away. I think Dragosin himself will be very aware of the case of um, Christian Kivu, his compatriot, who, when he joined Ajax in 1999, he didn't play much the first few months and he had to be patient and wait for his time. Then he went on to have a great career, won the Champions League with Inter and all the rest of it. So... um, I mean, Ange said all this. I did a piece last week on kind of Ange and new signings and how he, the cool as it's called, you know, how he convinces players to sign for him and talked a bit about Dragushin in that context as well. And he was very clear with him, you know, if you come, I'm not signing you as a backup option, but you're not going to come and be starting games straight away every week. You have to earn that. And he said, as I asked him about it in press conference, and he said, you know, if he wanted to just play games regularly, he would have stayed at Genoa, like, you know, that was there for him. He was doing that. That's not what he's come... In a top league, yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, he wants to challenge himself. I mean, bear in mind as well, it was put to me about Dragushin at Juventus when he started out, he was trying to displace Chiellini and Bonucci. So he's not um, not averse to a challenge. And that was when he was about 18 or something. So I think he'll be okay. And listen, um, talking about players who have just come in, it reminds me that very soon when we have a little break, we'll talk about players who, after a long and distinguished career at Spurs, have gone out. Um, a really good interview with Hugo Lloris in The Athletic this week. We'll hear a little bit of that and continue to discuss that and other matters here on The View from Lane. But you'll listen to me, Danny Kelly, Charlie Eccleshare and Jack Pitt-Brook. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. La, 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 la,
Yeah, welcome back to the View from Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. With me today, Jack Pitbrook and Charlie Eccleshare. Um, I'm loath to call them the A-team because James Moore will come lumbering uh, towards me if I do. But very good to have them aboard. Let's turn to the other end of the career scale now and a player whose career is in its in its twilight moments, I think. Let's move on to the interview in The Athletic last week, which featured none other than uh, longtime previous captain Hugo Lloris. Let me just give you a flavour of what the uh, it said. Here's a piece of audio, um, and here is what uh, Hugo has to say about where the club is now. You could see the progression year after year, and we were very, very competitive. I think at that time uh, we missed two or three more players, you know, to to, to compete for for success and and for and to win trophies. I mean, the, the, the progression was too fast for the club because at that time uh, the club was also also focused on the, on the new stadium, yeah. so they didn't have financial reserve like they do right now. And then with the change of manager, we the club also changed the, the way of playing football. But also, uh, I don't think that the fans, they were happy uh, with the way we used to play. And uh, bringing uh, Ange, you, you you can feel there is a real positive impact. And also, when you look at the squad in, in three years' time, I mean, it's a completely different squad. You know, very young and uh, with legs, with uh, personality, with design. I think it's, it's true to say that now everybody enjoys watching Tottenham. Okay, well, it was a, a pretty a pretty wide-ranging interview. I heard a little bit of the highlights of it there. Jack, what did you make of it? Luis is always a fascinating person to hear from, and he was really interesting talking about his time at Tottenham. I thought he was he was diplomatic, like he wasn't critical of anyone, but I think when you when you know how diplomatic Luis is, you can kind of read between the lines a bit. So, for example, when he repeatedly described Conte's managerial style as, quote, very different. <laughs> yeah, I thought the Conte stuff was really <laughs> read between you the can lines. Tell what, you can tell what he's getting at, you know. He also talked about how um, the change in style post-Pochettino, which clearly, I mean, I think you can read, again, you can read between the lines that he thought Tottenham probably went in the wrong direction when they moved away from attacking football post-Pochettino. But then he, he also says some stuff which... To me, it kind of sounded like Pochettino talking. Like, when he's talking about how one of the issues of the Pochettino era was that Tottenham, the team on the pitch, improved far quicker than anybody expected them to. And he said, quote, our progression was too fast for the club. That is to say that the sort of overall strategy at Tottenham wasn't geared towards having a team that was close to winning the Premier League. But that's what they had. And when they had that, they didn't really know what to do next. And when Lloris says we needed to add a few players and regenerate that group, that is that is kind of the the, the Pochettino viewpoint. That, that that moment of opportunity that Spurs generated when they came, you know, they got the 86-point season and the 77-point season. That was really the moment where they needed to sell a few of the players who'd been good up to that point to get in fresh bodies, probably add in some extra quality, you know, extra quality in attacking positions just to help help them make that final step um so it's always interesting to see how players the kind of messages that players internalize and the way that players understand the sort of broader strategic position of the club um through through their time playing but yeah i think there's a lot of really interesting stuff there which i'm sure fans will, will want to read i'm just gonna jump in there jack who would you have sold danny rose lucas mora sissoko lamella 
I would have sold, honestly, I would have sold every player in that team apart from Lloris and Kane. And I'm sure, that, I imagine that Pochettino would have sold almost every player as well. They nearly sold Danny Rose for 50 plus million pounds after that Sun interview in the summer of 2017. And then he ended up leaving for nothing. Yeah, they could have sold Deli Ali for, for like, I, I reckon if they'd really tried, they could have sold Deli Ali for a huge fee and he ended up leaving for practically nothing. When Coutinho went for 140 million, people were saying, well, how much is Deli worth? Is he worth more than, than Coutinho at that moment in January 2018? And bear in mind, like, I don't think anyone, or I'm certainly not suggesting in that moment, I would say, yeah, yeah, sell, 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 Just get rid of all these players. But the key is that you do make the right call. It's not easy, but like it wasn't easy to sell Coutinho or like Ferguson used to do at United. He'd sell players. Like that's the chat. You don't get big fees for player if, for players if there's no risk. You know, no, no one's going to pay big fees for to, to you as the selling club. That's that's the key thing. You need to make those calculated risks. And I mean, we've been over this yeah. so many times. And Pochettino knew. And Pochettino knew. Yeah, yeah. Pochettino knew. Like he knew that these players would, would would decline. They nearly sold Lucas Moura for forty million to Napoli in twenty nineteen after his Ajax hat trick. Then they decided not to do it. And so I think that goes for almost literally everyone in that team. They should have sold them. Okay. Well, we we we, we, dis- we disagree here. Uh, we disagree. And as I always say, they got big money for Carl Walker. I've now spent significantly more than that trying to replace him over a period of five years. Charlie, calm me down here. No, what I thought was interesting as well that he said, which again was very parallel with Pochettino's view, is that the Wembley years, he talked about um, how difficult that was and that came at that moment where Spurs had just got the 86 points and finished second, that they then had two years, or pretty much two years, pretty much two seasons, away from White Hart Lane, away from their home stadium, uh, and how difficult that was. Yeah, I think we can all agree, those of us trolling out to the national stadium every two weeks and you know the players do it it was not a disaster that's not the right word but it, it, de- it definitely um didn't help the development of that team although you know as jack says there may have been other reasons uh why it didn't kick on in this what the 17-18 season they got what, 77 points that's a huge achievement isn't it? if you think about it i mean it kind of gets forgotten in context because they didn't win anything that season they completely blew the fa cup semi-final against manchester united they what they blew the champ. They had that horrible Champions League exit to Juventus, which they sh- where they should have done better. It felt it was a bit of a you know it's obviously nine points fewer than they got the previous season. So you know you could argue that the team was slightly declining, but I think overall to have got seventy seven points in a season you know, that, that's what the second highest that Tottenham have got in the Premier League era, and they did it in a season where they effectively didn't play a proper home game. That's a huge achievement and one that's kind of we've sort of forgotten a bit about for various reasons, but it's uh, it's worth it's worth reminding ourselves how good that is. Alex THFC asks, and it's the only question we're going to have time for today. I'm sorry about that. Um, I've got to prepare myself for this because I don't want Anne shouting at me from a distance. Should we go to a back three now? Um, and according to Alex, the uh, it would get Udogi and Poro playing in their natural positions as wing backs, providing with seen as we don't, says Alex have any one-against-one wingers who can hug the touchline? It's, it's, it's a question worth airing, even if we already know the answer. Yeah, it's, it's a classic. It's good. F- it's the sort of thing a manager would say, yeah, you can talk about these topics in your articles and on your podcast. Yeah, your ivory but towers. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm managing a football club here um, because we know he's not going to do this. So it is purely a fun hypothetical exercise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there is some logic to it, but then also Poro and Adoggi have been very good as inverted fullbacks and they've, <laughs> they've been training that whole, they've learned this skill and they've become very good at it to then ask them to do something entirely different, which they've done a lot of. They would snap back into it pretty quickly, I'm sure. 
but it might be an odd, you know, given Postacoglu's whole thing is about clarity of message. And I think a lot of his coaches and people at the club really appreciate that, actually. Like, you know, a lot of them have come from places where you're with a manager who's changing their approach uh, from month to month. And that's really difficult, whether you're a coach or whether you work in the recruitment team or whatever, because suddenly it's like, oh, so what we actually want from new signings or what we want to teach our current players is entirely different to what it was three months ago. So I think there's a lot of value in having that clear message. But just as a hypothetical, could it work? I mean, often, or I would say almost usually, when you play three centre-backs, you don't always play three out-and-out centre-backs. I mean, even, you know, you think of uh, Conte as kind of the great proponent of that. At Chelsea, his best team had Aspilicueta, who was a kind of defensive fullback playing as the third centre-back. You, you tend to have that kind of person. I think that works quite well. Ben Davis, obviously, at Spurs, another one very similar. So to play three out and out centre backs would be would be interesting. Uh yet yeah, then obviously the wing backs could do it. Then it depends, do you go three five two or three four three? I guess you could play Son and Richardson up front as a pair. I mean you could go Madison, Benson Kurbasuma or Kulisevsky or Saar. I mean there's you'd you'd have a lot of options, but you're you'd actually then be play you'd you'd lose a midfielder. So and given Spurs have are quite well stocked in midfield, I'm not sure You'd necessarily want to do that. I mean, that that that's when Alex posed this question, and I start to try and think about it, um, with my walnut-sized brain. It struck me in the end, if Poro and and Udogi were going to be even more attacking, as they might be expected to be, uh, in a with a back three behind them, you'd end up with probably Basuma and Saar in, in in the middle of midfield, and then you've got to make a choice then between Benson Kerr and Madison if they're going to play as a, with a ten. Then you play, if you play three forwards, you've got to drop both of them, you know. So, you know, it, it solves... To get Dragushin in, I'm not sure it's worth it. I have well, to I think his mum would disagree with you. <laughs> I'm um, sure she would. And she, had, sure. she seems to have a great deal of power these days with the Romanian press. I do have Romanian family going back some way as well, oh. so I should be more loyal to him. But uh, even with would, that, would you be eligible to play for them? It was. It's my great grandfather, ah. so it, I'd be really pushing it. Um, Jack, any any last thoughts on that, or uh, do you think we're just uh, blokes um, urinating into the wind? I don't think it quite makes sense, does it? I mean the the benefit of getting in the extra centre back, like yeah, Dragosin's a really a good player. Yeah, Tottenham are not defending great at the moment. They are clearly conceding a lot of chances, but it would mean it would clearly mean taking out a player from the front six and whether you you know if you i wouldn't particularly want to take one of the three midfielders out I'm not sure maybe you could take out one of the one of the three forwards and have three in midfield and two up front you know maybe i don't know son and Richarlison up front i imagine or or maybe son and Kulisevsky or but i don't know it doesn't to me the the the, the cons outweigh the pros i think of this particular plan Okay, well, I'm I'm sorry, uh, Alex THFC. Um, we 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 stirred that around. We still can't find, even if it was something the manager might be inclined to do. I still think that it moves too many of the moving parts into places where they will be unpredictable. Uh, for now, can I say one last thing? One one last topic, very quickly. Just uh, I was saying last week, I really didn't think United could keep scraping wins playing the way they were in the same way that we we talked about the fact that Spurs had had a few near misses and eventually that catches up with you so it was very satisfying seeing United's luck run out um sorry is that sentence really read it was very satisfying being right yes and no I mean I think every I mean also yeah that but more just I just find it so weird you know they were 
getting quite a lot of plaudits. I guess you have to when you win a bunch of games in a row. Like, okay, fair enough. But they're back to a zero goal difference. They had a week of having a positive goal difference. It wasn't for them. Um, I just think they, they've been average over such a sustained period. I was looking at this. Since the start of the 21-22 season, so they've played just over 100 Premier League games, their goal difference in that period is plus 15. Over 100 games. They've, that, they've been so average for so long. And yeah, just, you know, they kept scraping wins and... If you do that, one of them's going to go against you. It did. And and the reason I bring this up on a Spurs podcast, obviously, I think a lot of people were fearing they were going to overtake Spurs. Obviously, they still could. Had they won that game, they would have gone joint with Spurs. Um, Tottenham having the game in, would have, you know, have the game in hand. But yeah, that gives uh, Spurs a bit of breathing space. So on a weekend where they weren't playing, there was a good result for them. Obviously, Villa also won, but you know, you'd have expected both of those teams to win their games at home. So a nice bonus for Spurs. Yeah, the Villa game, which is starting to emerge out of the mist of the future, is now starting to take on pretty large proportions, isn't it? It is, but also, you know, they Villa play at Ajax uh, away on the Thursday night. But, you know, then they play at 1pm. It's earlier than usual. Uh, I think that's to accommodate City-Liverpool, which has moved earlier for policing reasons. So Spurs are going to have a free week before playing Villa. Villa will have been at Ajax a few days before, you know. See how much of a difference that makes. Maybe maybe Jordan Henderson can uh, run them into the ground. We shall see. Um, listen, thank you very, very much indeed. Um, I was really, uh, genuinely uh, interested in what you had to say about the young players. And not just the young players as individuals, but the opportunities presented to them and the difficulties of presenting with opportunities. There's no contradiction there. Thank you very, very much indeed. Thank all of you uh, for listening. Um, remind you as always the show has an official home on Xstroke Twitter at VFTL Podcast you can email us your questions some weeks we don't get through any of them and some weeks we'll get through three or four of them so don't be afraid VFTL at theathletic.com and for the best Spurs coverage anywhere I've got to say this in front of Jack and Charlie make sure you sign up to The Athletic take advantage of our latest offer it's just $1.99 a month and that's uh, for 12 months simply go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod subscribe. We'll be back on Thursday. We'll be previewing the game against Crystal Palace. New manager bounce successful Crystal Palace. A game that to me, and you shouldn't say this, with still a third of the season to go, has all the hallmarks of a must-win game. How will Spurs win the must-win game? Find out on Thursday. Thank you for listening. God bless you all. Cheers. The Athletic.